Good morning, everyone. My name is Keith. I'm the leading teaching pastor here at Grassroots, and I welcome you this morning in the name of Christ. Um, if you're new here today at Grassroots, a most hearty welcome. Hopefully that you're uh, finding everything that you need to today. And um, if you have some questions or need something or would like to know more about the community, usually folks linger around afterwards for, I don't know, a half hour to four hours. I'm not sure, somewhere in between there. There's always a bit of a social space here afterwards that everyone is welcome to stick around in, get to know folks. Uh, if you have any questions about who Grassroots is or what we do here, uh, you're most welcome to stay. And I should say as well that there's really good coffee in those urns back there. And so if you haven't got yours yet or if you need a refill, feel free at any point to go back in and get a cup. I won't be offended. So I was talking to my therapist this week. Can a, can a pastor start their sermon out that way? I was wondering. I was going to go for it anyway. I was talking to my therapist this week. Um, I'm not going to tell you what I was talking about. It's too much. But just the fact that I have a therapist is vulnerable enough. Uh, and I was, someone was talking to me. And they were like, ah, you know, is it, is it like, like, should we be worried that our pastor has a therapist? And I said, I said, you should be worried if your pastor doesn't have a therapist. So uh, anyway, I was talking to my therapist this week. And... I was just reminded over and over again that uh, the, the tradition that we're in, the Christianity that we're doing, is a healing tradition. We are a, a group of people who follow uh, a Lord, our Jesus, as our King, who was a healer. And we've been talking about him healing in the last, um, in the last many weeks. And healing goes, it stretches from, obviously we need healing from our physical ailments, but healing goes much deeper than that. Healing goes into our very spirits, our very emotions, our very psyches. Uh, everything about us comes, that comes into this world at one point, and it usually happens pretty early on, at one point gets wounded or hurt or diseased or broken, and we, we all have a journey to walk side by side with one another of our journey towards healing. And at this phase of my life, I, I every month need a professional to, to talk to and to just sort of work through some of my own brokenness and my own sense of hurt and pain and trying to become uh, you know, as, as healed and whole as I can. And um, all of this, all of this comes together in this great Christian tradition of healing. And so we've been talking about this in the last many weeks of Jesus being a healer and a guy who went around and um, did so many amazing things. He, um, he talked about healing. He healed people. He encouraged others to seek healing. And uh, yet somehow, as we listen to him and listen to his teaching on healing and his, listen to his actions, we see that over and over again, he links up healing with the forgiveness of sins. Over and over again, this idea of being forgiven for, for, for your own sins or the things that you've contributed to your own brokenness or other people's brokenness or uh, forgiving other people who have broken you or, or hurt you, that somehow at a very deep level, healing is constantly connected with the forgiveness of sins. And so... Um, the roots of many of our illnesses, I believe this, the root of many of our illnesses, perhaps even some of our bodily illnesses, is unforgiveness. And I, I know I've just sort of learned in my own life, and it doesn't always go back to unforgiveness. We have a few instances in the Gospels where Jesus is like, I'm healing someone and it has nothing to do with their sin or the parents' sin. Sometimes 
bodily illnesses are just a result of a fallen world. But, but more often than not, the root of many of our brokenness and our illnesses, uh, and, and even some of the things that we, that we suffer with, is unforgiveness. I, uh, I was in seminary, and there was a whole group in seminary, kind of a smaller group, but a small community of people who really wanted to learn more about this healing aspect of the faith. And so they would hold uh, healing services regularly. And I didn't go to many of them. I went to some of them. But I remember going to one of them, and there was a professor there who I had great respect for. And I was having these chest pains, like, oh, my gosh, am I having a heart attack? What's going on? And I went up in this line to, you know, this very courageous thing to do. You go up in kind of a dark room, and there's this person going to pray for you. And he said, what's wrong with you? And I said, I've got some chest pains. And he's like, so are you anxious in your life right now? It's like, yeah, I'm anxious. I'm in school. I've got like 12 classes, you know. And so he prayed for my anxiety, and I just remembered him linking that at that moment for me and just realizing, oh, a lot of my anxiety to perform, to please, to get good grades, to excel, to hold my family together while, you know, while I was in school, all of that was connected with this very bodily thing. And so I just remember working through that over the course of the next few months, like anxiety uh, was crippling me. And so, again, not always, but like very often the root of many of our illnesses is unforgiveness. And um, we've talked about that. And if you've missed any of the sermons, I'm kind of in a long series, on a, a year-long series on, on Jesus and getting to know Jesus. And we're in this mini portion of it right now talking about his healing ministry. And if you've missed any of those sermons, if you're new today, those are all podcasted on the website. So check them out there. Uh, but we've been talking about um, kind of Jesus's. On, uh, we've been talking about. There we go. Hold on. Stay, stay, stay firm. Okay. We've been talking about many of Jesus's healings, and if you're new today, I'll go over this again with you because it's good to know that he's healed people from demon possessions, from various sicknesses, from fever. The fever was gone. He healed them from dropsy, from leprosy, variously. Bodily compromises, people who are blind, he'd go. People blind from birth, he'd make, make it so they could see again. People who are crippled and withered so that their body was set straight. People who had the inability to speak, he loosed their mouths. Um, people who had long-term ulcers, he healed them instantly. Uh, where, no, where no doctors were able to in that day. Uh, people who couldn't hear, uh, he, he, could, um, he went around and, and, and healed them. People with destructive lifestyles, it says that he brought them back to a life uh, a healing so that their lifestyles and their destructive impulses were no longer which drove them. Um, these people in deep cycles of unforgiveness. I mean, just read the Gospels. People's social rejection, and he ultimately he raises three people. I mean, people clinically dead, wailing at the funeral. He raises them from the dead. Okay, so Jesus was a healer, and there is no sort of if, ands, or buts about it. This is part of who he was. And today we're going to talk and begin a couple weeks of focus on his cousin John. He had, Jesus had a cousin. It's a really important cousin uh, to understand who he was. Uh, and here's my, here's my points here. I'm just going to draw these out so we know where we're going. Jesus' alliance with his cousin John, he had an alliance with him, a shared ministry. Not, it wasn't the same ministry, but there was a parallel ministry with John. Uh, his alliance with his cousin John helps us see that our, our hopes for healing, okay, this comes straight back to us today, our hopes for healing are always linked 
with the greater mission, okay? I'm going to tease that idea out over the next couple weeks. And, and these are some of the various points I'll get into. Sometimes God's miraculous healings inspire faith and repentance. And people come to God, they see something amazing happening, something raised from the dead, someone miraculously healed from something they've been stricken with since birth. And what this resulted in was glory to God. People drew close to God, faith was sparked, and repentance happened. But sometimes, and this is, we don't often think about this, I'm going to challenge us to think through this, sometimes God's miraculous healings do not inspire faith or repentance. Actually, they work the opposite. They work to harden people. And, and we don't think about that sometimes, but I'll show that to you here, and we'll talk about that, that sometimes when God does something absolutely amazing, people turn away from him. It's happened in Jesus' life a lot. And then finally, John's death. John will be beheaded and killed for him being a prophet during Jesus' lifetime. John's death show us how suffering and mission work together. And one of the core, core questions that we have to grapple with when we come to John the Baptist's life is why didn't Jesus free him from prison? John was captured. Jesus wasn't very far away, walking around, healing all these people, doing miraculous things. And yet he never made an attempt to, to free John or save him. We have to wrestle with that. What do, what, do, what do we do with that? Especially when we ask these questions about healing and faith and wholeness. And it's just a really important thing. So we'll get into that in the coming weeks. So we're going to talk about some of John today. We'll talk about his death next week. And then actually we're on into the Christmas season. And we'll actually just bridge right into Christmas talking about John's birth. Now it's interesting. John is, John is one of the two people in the New Testament who we hear about their birth. Jesus and John. And this is important. So I got this picture of John. I realize it's a bit dark up here. Uh, this is him talking to the crowds. So I'd like to just sort of give you a little bit of a um, I don't know, a, a biography of John here, just so we get our minds around some of the teaching today. We have to familiarize ourselves with John. Um, so other than Jesus, like I said, he's the only person in early Christianity who we know something about their birth. When, when you hear about someone's birth in the ancient times, you know it's spectacular, something really important to pay attention to. Uh, very few people get their births talked about. And so Jesus and John are the only two in early Christianity that we know about their birth. Throughout the Gospels, we are always hearing about this guy's life, always, over and over again, uh, about his disciples. Jesus had disciples, right? John had disciples as well. His disciples were fasting, and he, was, uh, he taught his disciples to pray. Remember when Jesus' disciples said, uh, Master, teach us to pray, and then we get the great Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Jesus taught his disciples. To... Actually, what, what, what his disciples ask is, Jesus, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So this Lord's Prayer may have even just begun from John. Uh, John may have, have, um, have, has, have written it. So um, we hear about him all the time. We hear about, even in the book of Acts, when you hear about Jesus' the, the, the movement beginning of early Christianity, the baptism that Jesus has under John is always linked to the beginning 
of Jesus' ministry, this very important beginning of his life, of, of Jesus' ministry, right back. So something spectacular happened when Jesus was baptized by John. We know that he gets uh, put in prison by King Herod, um, and that he's still getting outside news from jail. You know, like, you watch those jail shows on TV, and you're like, you know, some, like, the kingpin in jail is, like, really running the show. It's like John is constantly getting, he's in jail hearing all the stuff that Jesus is doing. And his disciples were, John's disciples were probably kind of at nighttime sneaking in or paying a price to, to get to John. Uh, so we know that he, he, go, he gets imprisoned, he gets beheaded. And after he dies, John is still a matter of intrigue. Um, people are, when Jesus is going around doing some of these great miracles, the word gets back to Herod and, and Herod's like, oh no, John the Baptist is raised from the dead. Interesting assumption. Like, it's not just Jesus out there. They think, well, maybe John the Baptist is back. So we know this guy had lots of intrigue. And at the end of his life, when Jesus was trying to teach during his last week, people were like, Jesus, you've done all these amazing things. By what authority have you done them? And all Jesus has to do is link his authority up to John's authority. So John's baptism, was it from heaven or from earth? And Jesus is, is clear because everyone respected John that much. So John's a big deal. And when Jesus talks about John, he, Jesus says, John is the greatest human being to have ever lived. Okay? If I could just get Jesus to say that about me, can you imagine? Yeah. John's the, from Jesus' own mouth, John's the, the, the uh, greatest human being to ever live, and yet we know that John in his own ministry kept saying to himself, yeah, I'm baptizing you in power for what? The repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was the basis of his ministry. We'll talk about that next week more. But every single point of the journey, John is saying, I'm doing something amazing. I'm changing the society around me, but there's actually another stronger one coming. I'm the weaker one, he's the stronger one. I'm paving the way, he's the king. And of course, John ends up proclaiming Jesus as the king. So the point is this. I go through all this because you can't really know Jesus. You can't even begin to know him, actually, without understanding John and knowing John. John's a big piece of the puzzle to understanding Jesus. And oftentimes you see him with this staff here, um, sort of proclaiming, proclaiming in the wilderness uh, um, uh, the coming of, of Jesus. So, uh, just little, bear with me a little longer here in this character building because there's also another figure that I've mentioned a few times that you have to know as well. And it's not John, it's not his cousin, but it's this guy named Herod. Herod Antipas. So here's John the Baptist pointing his finger at Herod, who's staring off into space. And you have a few other figures here. Now, I want to just share a little bit about this family. Uh, you'll also remember, if you've read the, the New Testament, that this King Herod is also the one who helped oversee Jesus' uh, sentencing to death. A few years later, or a year later, or a few months later, this same person that is going to imprison John is going to be the one that is also complicit in putting Jesus in jail and then ultimately uh, having him crucified. So this guy plays a pretty important role in, in the story as well, and he's also linked with John, because he, here's how it goes. Uh, Herod Antipas, there's lots of Herods. If you want to know about the Herods, it's, it gets confusing. I'm going to illustrate this for you. Uh, Herod Antipas was ruler of Jesus's and John's 
area or Jesus's area um, where he grew up. Nazareth was in that area. Now, Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great. Okay, Herod the Great, let me just, we'll talk about brokenness and then maybe the family lines sometimes that create our brokenness. Here's how this goes. Uh, Herod, Herod the Great, um, this is his dad. Uh, and you, we remember Herod the Great was the one who killed a bunch of two-year-olds to try to get rid of Jesus. Herod, Herod the Great also killed his own uncle for treason, two of his brothers-in-law for treason, his own brother for treason, one of his wives he killed for treason, his mother-in-law he killed for treason. He killed three of his nephews and two of his great-nephews because he thought that they were going to uh, overthrow him. This is Herod the Great, this guy's father. So this is the, the, the family line that this guy Herod. You can begin seeing the brokenness, the family sins, the family brokenness involved. If that's not enough, Herod the Great was married to five women, four at once, uh, and had a lot of different half kids. So the half brothers and sisters uh, were coming up there. Now, when we get to Antipas, Anti Herod the Great dies. Antipas inherits part of uh, Herod the Great's kingdom. Now, Her Herod Antipas was first married to some uh, Egyptian woman or some foreign princess. He, uh, and he didn't like her, and so he sort of uh, was going to get rid of her. But before he did, he fell in love with his half-brother's wife. Okay? Getting this? He fell in love. It's like a soap opera. He fell in love with his half-brother's wife. Now, his half-brother's wife was also both of their nieces. Okay? So his half-brother was married to their niece, their, their niece, and he fell in love with his niece, his half-brother's wife, and so he took her as his own, and she came and lived with him. And she also, she also uh, this is Herodias here, she brought with her uh, a, a daughter from uh, her, her marriage to Philip, which was Antipas' brother. Can you see the brokenness here? You see the brokenness in this line? And so John the Baptist ends up saying, look, that's not okay. You can't take your half-brother's wife and take her for your own. And it's, he probably was because that wasn't okay in the Jewish code, but it also because this guy was posing as king, part, part one of the king of the Jews. And we, we know that from the Old Testament that when they were expecting a king, they were expecting someone who would bring righteousness and peace and wholeness and healing to the world, not more brokenness because of inner family marriage intrigue. You know, it's not part of the deal. And so John the Baptist gets up and is like, if that's how you're going to be, there's no way you're our true king. And yet he had a lot of power, a whole lot of power over John. So he, he um, puts John in jail for speaking up against this uh, marriage or this whatever, whatever it is. Um, and so... Uh, we get, we get this, this sense that when Jesus comes onto the scene and when John comes onto the scene um, and Jesus is beginning to proclaim himself as king, this is the environment in which he's doing this. And there's lots of powers and it's kind of broken and there's brokenness all around. And so when Jesus begins his healing ministry, this is how the story goes. And the story gets set. Okay. Thanks for indulging in that backdrop because it's really important to know that stuff. Oh, the last thing to know here is this. Uh, Herod Antipas, this guy, he was kind of like a king over this area of, of Galilee. And he uh, minted his own coins. And because good Jews didn't put their own images on coins, uh, they put a symbol. And so his symbol that he chose was a reed. 
You know, like something that grows in the wilderness next to uh, something that I think, I think that we have them growing out along our, I should have brought one in today. A reed, you know, with the little thing at the end. Okay, you get the point. So his thing was a reed, and so this, is, this, is, this will show up as well. So we're, let's get into the scripture now. So John's in prison, and he heard, here's what the Messiah was doing, and he sends his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back to, to the jail and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame they're walking, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. So you get this? His disciples have come, have sent, have sent a message from John, Jesus sends a message back, and it's like they turn around, and before they could get too far, Jesus starts speaking openly about John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? Did you go out to John the Baptist, a reed swayed by the wind? This is a powerful environment. Jesus is not just going to come out and condemn Herod, but this is his sort of subtle way of doing it. What did you go out to see, a reed swayed by the wind? Got to see someone like the king that we have now, who's like no king, no. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? Again, a, 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 a poke at King Herod. He's our king, and yet this, he's doing these things in fine clothes. No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. And what did you go out to see when you went to see John? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. It's like, come on, Jesus, could you be a little clearer with us here? Like, what are you talking about? It's, it's meant to. This is the way Jesus talks. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. For his ears, let them hear. Whenever you hear Jesus say that, you got to pay attention because he's saying something very important, but he's not telling it plainly. If you have ears, hear it. Listen up. Um, and I'll go into this but next week too. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Okay, are you confused too? Like, I think there's something important here, but what is it? Uh, and then again at this last point here, uh, most of the towns in which his miracles had been performed did not come close to God. They did not repent. They did not change their ways. So we'll get into that well, as well here. So let's go back. Well, let's unpack this. This, this is, I actually, I was supposed to just preach on this this week and then go on to another story next week. I started going, I think this is going to take two weeks. So we're going to get started on this, and then we'll, we'll finish off next week. Um, so let's begin with this. Here's John in prison. John's in prison. You remember John, he, if, if you've read the Gospels, he was out previously. He was uh, 
being very bold, baptizing people. Um, and what happens was you had all these religious leaders come out and say, um, just kind of, John, you know, you know, what are you doing out here? Who are you? Who gives you this authority? And John's like, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He's like this very courageous and bold and faith-filled person sticking his neck out for God and saying to the people, I'm not the one, but the, there is one to come after me who's greater than me. And now we find him in prison going, what was that about? Was I right? Was that Jesus? Was he the one to come or is it someone else? And you see, he's starting to lose faith. He's starting to doubt. He doubted himself. Doubt the, the courage and the boldness he had at the beginning of his faith journey. And now he's sort of in prison where things are not going his way. And he's like, Did I, was I a fool after all? And we get this sense that John is losing his faith. And we can relate, can't we? I don't know how, it's my story, maybe it's part of yours. I don't know how many of us begin with such confidence and certitude and surety that God is the one who saved us and he's the king of the universe. And then we get to this like tough times and then we get to these more mature times and we're like, did I have that right? Was I, was I a fool to be out and be that bold for God? And, um, and we get to this nature of faith. And let me, just, let me just teach on this for a minute because when it comes to healing and faith, we have to get faith Right. We have to understand what this is about. Because faith is never certainty. Okay? Some, some people are like, I can't be a person of faith because how can I know for certain that God is God and real? And Faith is never certainty. This is what Jesus was trying to teach on when he was teaching to John, uh, to Thomas. You know, doubting Thomas, the one who was... Uh, at the end of his life, was like, I'm not going to believe Jesus unless I'm certain, unless I touch his nails, nail marks, touch the wounds in his side. I cannot believe unless I'm certain of this. Like, empirical certainty. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll let you touch my, my marks. But blessed, remember this? Blessed rather is the one who believes and has not seen. So faith is not certainty. Faith is not the needing to like have every single thing put together and figured out before you have faith. And we know this because John's the greatest, right? He's the greatest, and yet here he is in the midst of his own doubt. We all go through doubt. Doubt is, uh, doubt is not the opposite of faith. Faith is... Faith is this confidence that God has got this. Confidence that God is in charge. God is in control. The opposite of, if, 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 if certainty is I, I, must, I must see to believe. I must know it all to believe. If that's certainty. The opposite of that is even if I see, I will not believe. And that's what you get from some of these towns. I see, they see Jesus' miracles, they see it in front of them, they have the absolute certainty, and yet they don't come to faith. faith unbelief, okay, so let me just do this for us. Unbelief is, I, even if I see, I will not believe. Certainty is, I, I need to see to believe. But faith somewhere in the midst of that. Faith is, I can be confident in God, and yet doubts can creep. I don't know for certain. And here's the thing. The greatest things in life, love, being loved back, 
none of those things are ever certain. Never have certainty about them. Never have certainty that someone's going to treat you with respect that you deserve. But yet you give it because you give yourself to it anyway. Because you're never going to get to the deep levels of being loved because someone loves you and they've made that choice. You're never going to get there unless you take a bit of a leap. And that's faith. You you have some faith. You have some faith to go. And so John, the greatest in all of the world, the greatest person who ever lived, is now in this doubt struggle. He's He's not in this unbelief. He's not like, okay, I'm in jail now, so I no longer believe. He's just going... Was that right? Did I have that right? And and yet, we know that he is one of the most important, enduring figures of early Christianity. So, here's the thing. When it comes to faith and the nature of faith, uh, faith does play a role to a certain degree in healing. We have to have confidence that God can do it. We have to have confidence. We can't be in unbelief. We have to have some sort of faith. But it's never this attitude of, God will do this. And if he doesn't, he's got me to answer to. Um, uh, It's so much messier than that. And John teaches us that. John teaches us that, that it's sometimes, healing is sometimes very messy, and it's sometimes filled with doubt. It sometimes ends in beheading. Okay. I just want to make this, this is so important because I think I've met so many people going, you know, I, I kind of believe in God. I've got my faith life. I've, it's my, my private life. It's good. But then coming to do the Christian thing and then having to follow Jesus as Lord, like I can never be certain of that. So how can I follow that? And I want to say what you know of certainty is not what's being asked of you. What's being asked of you to find, to find a, a salvation and your own healing and your own being put back together, all that's being asked of you is to have a confidence that Jesus is the Lord of the universe. That's, that's the bottom line. Jesus is Lord, okay? So here's John in prison, doubting. And his role isn't done yet. He's still going to play a role in all of the, this, this Jesus' story. If that makes sense to you, or if it doesn't make sense to you, I'm very open to a coffee. We can talk about this more. Uh, so John's in prison, and he's doubting. And here's Jesus responding. He's, he's basically quoting Isaiah. The deaf of the eyes of the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The word gets to Jesus that John is doubting and I'm sure that he's just heartbroken. My, my beloved cousin, our ministries have run parallel and now here he is doubting me. How could he doubt me? And so he says in this almost grief-filled response, John, the People who are broken are being healed. This is my ministry. And it's not just any ministry. It's the ministry of the king of the universe. So here's Jesus' response. Go back and report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And we hear Jesus' agenda. He's back on his platform as, as king of the universe. Here's what my platform is. Blind people will see, lame people will walk. Those who've been outcast for their, their, their sicknesses are cleansed. Deaf here, dead are raised. 
And the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And you hear Jesus' message of wholeness and restoration and healing and actually true transformation from the things which have bound us. And you realize here that it's not just about our personal healing. It's also about social healing. The, the, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. The, the situation that makes you poor is being changed. Justice will be part of my society. And as Christians, this is the king that we serve as well, right? The king who is the king of both personal healing and social justice. And so that uh, as we talk about healing and wanting to be a ministry of healing, we also are a community who looks towards the systems of poverty and racism and injustice. And we say that it's part of our job to help heal that as well. So repentance. What is repentance then? Because isn't that John's main message? Repent. Repent and be forgiven. Um, so it's both, and we've been talking about this for the past many weeks, it's both admitting that we were wrong, coming to God and asking for forgiveness. But remember John's, when he was baptizing, one more little story, flashback in John's life, he was baptizing people and all sorts of the wrong people, Roman soldiers, tax collectors, all sorts of the wrong people were coming to him and saying, we, we're being cut to the heart. Somehow, John, what you're saying, the invitation for, 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 that you're giving us to come from, far, from being far away from God in a life of brokenness into a life of healing and wholeness, that invitation, John, is cutting us to the heart. What should we do? And John's like, repent. And they're like, what, what does that mean? And John's like, well, if you have two, clothes, two cloaks, go sell one. If you don't like how much you're getting paid, be content with it. And uh, if you're extorting money and intimidating people as soldiers, stop doing that. Repentance has a very strong action orient to it. If, if, if you today have come and are like, you know, I've, I'm, I'm broken. I've been broken. I've been, I've, I'm in pain. I've been wounded. And you want to come and be healed by God in some of the healings that he does, the invitation is to repent. And part of that is, yes, a deep sorrow. But also part of that is a turning our life and aligning it to Jesus' ways. And John's like, part of that, what that means is if you have two winter cloaks, go give it to someone who doesn't have one. I mean, how, how much more practical can you get? And, and as winter's coming here, I'm going through my closet of like 12, clothes, 12 cloaks, whatever I have. I don't know how many coats I have. I have lots of coats. And, you, you know, you get, these, you get this in my own sort of complex. You know, like, I love going out to Value Village, right? Yeah, I love going out there getting... I'll, I'll probably be out there next week getting a new coat. I mean, that's just... And yet, this message comes to me. Who did you go out to see? If you, you, know, if you want to be great like John, who did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothes? No, camel's hair and whatever, whatever he's... he's whatever else he's wearing. And the point is this. Um, John and Jesus are both saying the same thing. They're saying we can't be caught up in systems of vanity and can't be caught up in systems of acquiring more and more and more things to fill our life. We can't be caught up in... I was reading a book this week by a hermit who was like... Uh, he, he, rich, rich men and women would come to him a lot and say to him, uh, you know... I'm just so trapped in my life. I'm so trapped in this, these cycles of uh, spending money and spending cycles of 
wanting to be accepted and be part of society. And they're like, but I, I can't stop buying new suits because I'm in a job that requires me to wear new suits every, you know, to stay up with the fashion. And the hermit was like, stop doing that work. Get out of that line of work. I was like, sort of cut to the heart a bit. I'm like, well, here's my little value village outfit. Maybe you'll be seeing me in this for the next 10 weeks in a row. I don't know. Um, I think part of this, I'm trying to drive home to us that when, when it comes to healing, when it comes to being whole, we have to go deep inside of ourselves in those places where not only are we, do we need acceptance and love, but those places where we need to be part of the solution to the social and, uh, and political evils of the world. And part of that sometimes is getting out of this need for more, need to be in the right clothes. I mean, you look at pictures, we always laugh at what we were wearing a generation ago. It's always funny. And yet we take so seriously what we wear today. Like, how does that connect? It connects somewhere because inside of us we're caught in these systems of needing to be accepted and needing to be part of something and needing to, I don't know, to make a life. And Jesus is saying, part of my deal here is this. I'm not just going to, I'm not just calling you to help people heal emotionally, but I'm, I'm helping you to help heal it all. And part of that is you to be freed from these deep cycles as well. Okay, so sorry if you own Value Village today and are listening to this. Um, one more thing. So here we have Jesus. He's, he's preaching to us. He's, he's cutting us through the heart. He's talking about healing. He's working with John. Uh, they think that he was a healer, and, um, and his followers are, are healers too. And we come to, to ourselves asking this question, and I'm just going to spend all next week diving to the heart of this because this community has gone through some serious losses. Like, we need healing. <laughs> Bad. We need, some, we need to take time to heal. We need to, to do some of this work, which is to bring ourselves over and over again to the, the, the feet of God and to repent and be forgiven and um, uh, be, be restored. And these deep questions reverberate through this, this group of people about how do, how do we be part of this healing process when we sometimes don't see it happen? How do we be part of this healing process when, um, you know, when... You know, what seems to be required is faith, but then when you give it, it just seems to be thrown back in your face. Okay? These are real things. We need to, we need to grapple with them. And so when Jesus has, says, have ears to hear, and we want to be a healing people because it's part of our birthright as Christians, we can't just go along on the surface level and assume that we know what healing looks like and what faith means and how it all works together. We have to listen deeply, and I believe Jesus and all of that convoluted teaching is giving us some of the answer. So we listen. Um, when, we, when we're filled with doubt like John, how does that play into the puzzle? Um, when, we, when we feel like we need to make an action and it just seems to make things worse, how is that part of the puzzle? And here, here it is. Turn back on. These three things, and we'll dive into this next week, three things. Jesus began to reproach the cities in, what, in which most of his deeds of power had not been done because they did not repent. Okay, that's the first piece of the puzzle. We'll get into that. How, why is that important that sometimes healings turn people away from God? Okay, 
It's an important piece of the puzzle. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. A very subtle way to say that when you are part of my healing ministry, you can't just go about taking it by force. Okay? And the last thing, but to what will I compare this generation? It's like children singing in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not repent. Or when you did not dance. Sorry, I forgot to put the rest of that. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. This is like, if you want to be part of my healing ministry, if you want to be a healer in God's tradition, you can't be trying to cajole him and twist his arm. Um, okay, we'll get into that next time. Here we go. We're going into it. But leaving it today at this. Just a final, a final couple words here. Repentance. And I've talked about this in the past couple of weeks, and I just want to give some practical thoughts here. Repentance. Repentance is this. If we want to be healed, if we want to be part of God's healing ministry, we have to do repentance. And repentance is like we think of it as something that is like, you're going to make me just feel icky and beat down and something like less than, less than dust. Okay, repentance isn't that. And we talked about this two weeks ago. Repentance is far more like coming home to a father who will run in compassion straight to you when you go to him, healing the, the parable of the prodigal son. Repentance, I'm going to, I have nothing really new to say, but just to remind us this week that um, uh, we build this space here every Sunday morning and you can do it at home or with a friend or with, you know, in a small group. When something is weighing on you and you can't quite get rid of it, Sometimes you just need to give it words. Something you've done, something someone's done to you. Sometimes you just need to give it words. So find a friend. Find someone you trust. Or just at least tell it to God. God, here's how I've been. Here, here, here's how I, not just how I've been, but how I've been trapped. I've been trapped in cycles of something. Or here's the, my habits that I fall into over and over again. God, hold me out. Carry me out of this. I, I, I don't want to be this way. I don't want to be caught in the things I'm caught in. And God, over and over again, if you have a soft heart and you're coming to him, he will um, free you. It may take a long time. It's taking a long time. I see a therapist because it takes a long time. Um, but I can testify that when I come to God with a humble heart and open and feeling, his, feeling deeply my need of him, he will uh, respond. And so uh, this morning, if, if there's something on you that's weighing in you like that, something you're trapped in or something you feel like you've done and you can't let it go and it's haunting you, then um, bring it to the altar today. Bring it to the table. Bring it to God in prayer in the last two songs. There's no more opportune time than to repent um, and confess. And living with doubt. Living with doubt. Um, we will all go through cycles of doubt. We will all go through moments where things don't make sense. And we question ourselves and we question God. How do you live with doubt? Um, doubt is not a place to stay. It's like a hotel on the, on the way to faith. Um, sometimes there's something that comes along, an experience or a question or something in you. And all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh. I no longer believe like I once did. I no longer, no longer have the confidence or certainty I once did. 
And it's like, doubt is like, okay, I've come to a place on my journey, and I can't go further. I just hit a roadblock. It's like a hotel. Like, stay there for a while. It's okay. God is with you. Um, find some people in your life that can help you through what you're going through. Talk to me. Talk to someone else who um, has a pastoral calling. Um, don't stay there. Don't, don't, don't plan on planting your home there because God will eventually uh, move you forward. But living with doubt in the moments of, um, of, of sort of despair and questioning is part of the process. It's part of the deal. So if you're, if you're caught in doubt today, bring that to God as well. Let him know. God, here's how I'm doubting. Here's why I can't move on. Please help me. Guide me. Show me the answers. And I guarantee that if you stay in that posture, because of the God who I know and who's been revealed, I guarantee that you'll wake up four or five months from now or whenever, however long he takes, and you'll go, oh, okay, that, I don't really, that's not really a thing anymore for me. I don't, I don't. You've answered that, God, thank you. I'm, I'm past that. But if you try to push past the doubt, if you try to just force yourself to believe, trust me, it's not going to go well. You're going to get to something, and everything that you've held together so tightly is going to come apart. Go through the doubt. Be with God through the doubt. Work it out, or it'll stay with you. Uh, and so, uh, like John, uh, sometimes it's okay to ask, God, did I have this right? These are my invitations to you. Wherever you're at today in all of these things, uh, we bring it to the table every week because Jesus told us to. He reminded us that when we meet together, we take his broken body and dip it into the symbol of his blood, and that we take it inside of us to say once again that even though we don't have it all together, even though we have deep questions, uh, we still take you in, we still follow you, we're, we're still here. And so whatever it is that God has been stirring in you today, whatever it is that you need to tell him, this is a great time to bring it to the table. And so as we go forth today, as we uh, sing the final two songs, the invitation is to come deeply into the presence of God and bring your prayers to the table. Because the table, the table is set in this way, um, and everyone here is welcome. <laughs>